I actually had to stop and be like, what? Like, what happened? What is happening? You know, Cormac McCarthy's 89. Maybe he snapped. Welcome back to another episode of Sterling Municipal Library's podcast, All Booked, where we talk to you about books we'd like to recommend. And Sam is joining us this morning to talk about two of Cormac McCarthy's latest books. They are somehow interrelated, and I'm going to let you take it from there. All right, yeah, so there's two books. They were released approximately six weeks apart. One's called The Passenger, and then the other one's called Stella Maris. So one of them covers the, I guess, the male sibling Bobby Western, which has some interludes of his sister. Mm-hmm. And then the other one is his sister, which is Stella Maris. So they're completely, that's weird. Like, I guess Stella Maris technically happens before the passenger, even though the passenger came first. Huh. A little view into her. So the layout of the books is the first one covers Bobby after he's he was racing cars and had a car wreck and kind of comes to and it doesn't really start right there. It actually starts with him as a salvage diver. Mm-hmm. But his life kind of talks about the time after his coma he was in, where Stella Maris is his sister's discussions while she's in therapy before the end of her life. So to give it away, which is the first interlude of the book, is that Alicia, who's his sister, kills herself. And I mean, that's how the book, oh, it's a Cormac McCarthy book. Yeah. If you've yeah, read it's everything, it's a lot of dark. So I mean, that is the very opening scene is someone finding her hanging in a tree where she'd use a red sash so that they would find her body. And then from there, it promptly goes into this really weird, disorienting, all in italics intro to the first chapter where I actually had to stop and be like, what, like what happened? What is happening? Because you know, Cormac McCarthy's 89, maybe he snapped. <laughs> and it turns out that Alicia is schizophrenic. So she mm-hmm. sees people or at least they believe she's schizophrenic. She does actually see this character called the kid or the thalidomide kid. He's got like, which was a drug apparently. Again, Google had to be nearby for some of this stuff. <laughs> so apparently thalidomide was a medication they gave people which caused severe birth defects, like fusing of fingers and limbs oh. and things like that. So he had like, they described his hands as almost like flippers and things. But mm-hmm. that was the main character. And he'd do these weird menstrual show type things to kind of torment the mathematical genius child that is schizophrenic, which kind of threw me off because a lot of schizophrenia is normally something that hits later in life, like, yeah. you know, at the end of adolescence and she was seeing these people from pretty early on, mm-hmm. like her early 12 to like her teen years, which again, maybe that's, there's an adolescent on or like, you know, yeah. teenage onset that I'm unaware of. So anyway, that's neither here nor there. Sorry. I'm just going having like a. It feels like already so, I know so little and I'm already like, this feels like a hard book to describe yes. to people. No, I, I knew coming into this because Sam has talked to me a little bit <laughs> about it, like off air. And I was like, this is going to be. So far we have salvage diving. A sister named Alicia committed suicide and also saw a old-fashioned birth defect drug child uh, who tormented her with minstrel shows. She was also a math genius. And there's another sister who later is in therapy. No, this is the same sister. There's only one sister. Wait. <laughs> so that's what I'm saying. This is this the, the the female protagonist is her. She's the one who is okay. who commits suicide beginning of the first book. Also is, you know, a genius okay. when it comes to mathematics. Like was a doctorate student by like 17 or 18 years old. Mm-hmm. Which he, also her brother was very intelligent. And the other curveball is her father was one of the people who worked on the Manhattan Project. Wow. So that was kind of something their family carried around that he they grew up in academia and he was mm-hmm. a person who, you know, like they said it was dealing with the after effects of creating the atomic bomb. Mm-hmm. So on a, 
on a scale of zero to the square root of negative one, how mathy does this book get? It gets very mathy. So if you know Mac, it is referenced a lot, like a lot of different theories. Like a lot of people had to look stuff up. I feel it's layman enough where if you don't know who everyone is, you still get the plot without losing much. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, there's constantly, especially in Stella Maris, there's a lot of referencing different mathematicians. Oh, where yeah. at points you're like, well, maybe they just made this up. No. Nope. It's all real. <laughs> so an important subscript to this is Cormac McCarthy has spent the majority of his even adult into twilight years hanging around the Santa Fe Institute, which is a collective of different physicists and things like that. So mm-hmm. apparently he has developed quite the Grasp interest of. in physics and stuff over the past like three to four decades. And that shows, I feel like. (laughs) Somehow he's less accessible than he was before. (laughs) I don't want it to sound bad. No, it's actually, I feel like these are far less alienating because I really enjoyed like Blood Meridian and Mm -hmm. things like that. But it was an exhausting read. Like that's the only book in my life I've been like, I need a week away from this book. It's very depressing. It's Mm -hmm. dark. It's desolate there's no joy to be found at any point in this book like it is like a horror show from the beginning where this one was like okay yeah i had no problem just blowing through it it's okay. reminding me more if you've if you've read of his books like of sutri or sutri however you pronounce it where it's more just a bunch of oddball loser derelict characters mm-hmm. that go around these two people well technically more around bobby so to get to the point we'll we'll move into the actual stories so yeah so this one opens we have suicide we have you know schizophrenic view and then it moves into the main character protagonist of the passenger and that is bobby western who Mm -hmm. again has spent time as a formula one racer had all this kind of weird stuff happen despite the kind of the i guess i read a review where they compared him to towns van zandt who's a local songwriter who kind of that rich kid derelict okay he had all this stuff in his thing but things just kind of went wrong in life and he ended up right at this point he's hanging out in new orleans in the 80s oh <laughs> and from there it's basically a ton of conversations it gets very like socratic method where everyone's talking about things and a lot of life discussions and things like that so it's weird so we open up we find he's a salvage diver him and his friend find an airplane that is just in the water it doesn't even really have necessarily signs of the fact that it had cracked like it wasn't torn apart or anything mm-hmm. but it's out in the bayou and they go in and when they go in there's a seat missing and the black box is missing so you have this mystery thing which if you you know if you liked old country for no country for old men you know that doesn't necessarily mean anything <laughs> because like when we find the money and we think our main character the entire time is the dude chasing after the money it's actually the sheriff that shows up here and there so court mccarthy loves like having this red herring thing kind of occur mm-hmm. not saying that this is the red herring but you know you can't <laughs> put all your baskets it's definitely a motivator to the story to keep it moving along but the real story is this is a book by a man an, an author you know i would say you know very good brilliant author if you want to use words like that i think we tend to overvalue everyone in our society but i think that's a big part <laughs> of the book is that a lot of it's looking at how pompous we are as people Mm -hmm. and how even though he spent all this time around how we kind of overvalue ourselves and the fatalism of well i've seen everything and i'm brilliant and i've done it all and kind of especially that comes with youth Mm -hmm. so basically the entire this book is just a bunch of different discussions with people which there's one character shed and it's great like he hangs around and basically takes credit cards and stuff from people you know back in the 80s it was a lot easier to walk in with a credit card and sit it down they just swipe it through like the you know little 
machine that does press. the yeah, the yeah. little press deal. It's not like now where they're like, hey, this has been shown not to be. Yeah. A lot of it's them getting expensive meals. And Bobby has no problem meeting his friend for dinner. He had none the wiser to why they're at this nice restaurant eating. Mm-hmm. He just knows that he's getting it. So he kind of acts as the, I guess, the more deviant part of your psyche. And he's kind of one of the more more fun because he asks all it's all, you know, all these strange questions. And Bobby's always close to the vest, like doesn't want to give up too much information. Mm-hmm. Because all these years later, he's carrying around this sadness that comes from the loss of his sister. But then he also has a friend that's a big, like a showgirl that is a trans showgirl in New Orleans and kind of carries that. That was his touch, I guess, on Bobby's more feminine side and things mm-hmm. like that and his sexuality. There's a lot of flirting, but nothing ever happens. And which is odd because he doesn't really flirt with anybody because of also the sadness of carrying his sister's loss. So a lot of this all just comes down to all these different weird scenarios you end up in, all these different discussions. Like, I think it was... I mean, this came directly out of the road. I say directly, like 10 years later after the road. But I think he enjoyed doing the narrative kind of style of the road. So a lot of this Mm -hmm. does have the wonderful flowery prose, which was missing from the road, describing the places and all the different weird things. But at the end of the day, the passenger came down and it was almost like reading like, you know, Plato's Republic or something in that mm-hmm. way where it was just all these different conversations and interactions. Right. So th- I was going to ask, and I don't know if I'm like interrupting your train of thought, because these books were released within six weeks of each other and are meant to be kind of companions to each other. How long are they? Not super long. I mean, the first one, The Passenger is about normal book, I think 280, 290. Okay. And then Stella Maris is far shorter. Like it's only like 180 pages oh, of okay. dialogue. So that's a good time. Because again, we're left. We know at the end of the book, Bobby's kind of just there pondering his existence, but also pondering it in a way that like prolongs his existence. That's good. And now we'll move to Stella Maris, which actually was funny because I enjoyed it the most, but Mm -hmm. it's completely dependent on the passenger. Where actually it made me want to go back and read the passenger even more again to see what I missed because Stella Maris is the name of the mental hospital where Alicia Western was. So Mm -hmm. the book is presented as transcriptions of the tapes of her talking to her therapist while in in Stella Maris. Mm -hmm. So it's all completely just a conversation and they're all spaced apart like a week. So you pick up all these different tales. It was a romantic link between... The siblings was hinted upon mm-hmm. in the first book. And in this one, you know, always I'm weary of making Shakespearean references because people told stories for yeah. tens of thousands of years and we sort of credit everything to Shakespeare. That's my, yeah. that's my philosophical <laughs> he drop. That, he I had have that to put hustle, man. You got to have that hustle. <laughs> right. I'm the first one to put it on paper. So it was me who did all this. There was a very Romeo and Juliet type of thing to this, mm-hmm. but it's where Juliet didn't really feel the same as Romeo felt about her. Oh, dang. So it really colors your... And Alicia is the Romeo of this story. Oh. So that's the the fun part. So we, we come to that. We learn a lot more about that, where she was completely in love with her older brother. Interesting. And while slightly requited, was not requited. Mm-hmm. It was very much like, yeah. I also care about you a lot. But um. <laughs> but maybe a little more than like, you know, just sibling, but not to that point. Not to the yeah. point you're looking for. <laughs> enough to where I'll carry the weight of your death for the rest of my life, but not enough to where we're going to. I won't flirt with the showgirl. Like we're going to run off and, you know, become like a character or become a couple with where I guess maybe, I don't know, just make it maybe the kid that's messed up kind of represents her mental 
version of the inbred child they would have had. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. But it's great because this really does lay down. This is kind of a big deal was made of Cormac McCarthy like t- undertaking a female voice, which he kind of did in wasn't the Orchard Keep. It was Outer Dark. Outer Darks where he took on like a female character. Very, but very briefly. And he also did like a brother, same thing, brother-sister inbred relationship, Appalachia, you know. Mm-hmm. This was a little more classy take on that. <laughs> So, but, but I feel like he did more of like his voice. Like it was a feminine version of Cormac McCarthy. This was not like, you know, women are going to sit down and be like, he really got what I was, right. understands what I'm feeling here. But I think it was important to kind of tell it. Plus, he even said in interviews, which he rarely does, but he actually said in one that he may do a bad job of it, but he just wanted to try. You're 89, take a swing, you know? Yeah, you yeah. might as well. And I think it did represent him, how he saw like, you know, his view which wasn't necessarily bad but you're also a schizophrenic in love with her brother in a mental hospital you got so many layers and it's also like you know spends all of her time telling stories wrapped up in mathematic or i guess mathematical geniuses and people like that which brings in a lot of her and honestly i think as long as your character your female character isn't always thinking about their physical body or always thinking about like shopping or, you know, as long as you're not being super stereotypical, there are people like they out there who think differently than an average woman may say that they think, you know, especially someone who's dealing with schizophrenia and being in a mental hospital and an incestual relationship. Like, I don't I don't necessarily think you have to do like a fantastic job of writing a woman where women will look at them and be like, ah, I see me because I won't. Even if it was written by a woman, yeah. because it's a schizophrenic woman in a mental hospital who has an incestual relationship with her brother. I'm not going to feel reflected in that, I don't think. My baseline is pretty low as long as it doesn't like slip to the standards of the subreddit that's men writing women. Yeah. We're good. No, yeah. I yeah, mean, no, just, like, this is just, it's very much, I mean, you don't get a lot of, well, you do, it's strange. It's like you get a lot of the internal dialogue yeah. because it's, again, just a conversational book. It's written mm-hmm. like the road. I mean, it's solely just back and forth. And, you know, as you love Cormac McCarthy and the, his lack of usage of any sort of quotations or even most commas <laughs> and things, even most commas. it's always really easy to know who's talking at very yeah. Especially because he does the therapist thing. It's like, so you feel this way. I feel that way. You feel that way. And you're just kind of like, yeah, dude, we get it. You know, you don't have to be. But again, if you've ever dealt with therapists, you know, they kind of repeat a lot of what you say to yourself. It's true. And you're just kind of like, dude, okay, dude, like you're not. I went to a, one of like the baby therapists and she literally just repeated things to me. I was like, okay. And it's like, cool. So you're trying to just make me look at myself. Like, I could do this at home. I yeah. Get a tape record. <laughs> I got a loop pedal. I could loop it. You could loop like, it and go, really? Is click, that how click. you feel? <laughs> so did you, you read this, right? Is there an audiobook available? Yes. There are audiobooks for both. Okay. I imagine the audiobook would actually be really good for Stella Maris because it would break up the two characters. The and add a lot of, like, there was a lot of stuff you miss in reading where it's like, oh, I didn't mean to upset you. And I'm like, well, none of that dialogue looked very upsetting, but I guess I could see. Then you go back and you have to kind of reread the area. Yeah. And it's like, I guess I could see. Maybe. So you said that you you read it in the intended order, but that you feel the desire to go back and read The Passenger again. Would you recommend that someone reads it in that order anyway? Or sometimes I think... It would be weird. Like, it's hard to say after I've done it this way. Yeah. It would make the beginning of The Passenger a little more shocking, maybe. But I feel like the entire point of Stella Maris is that 
she's her and the therapist are working their way into deciding that you know she's done like mm-hmm. she just doesn't kind of comes with that fatalism of I always try to not put too much misanthropy on all this with people but there's this thing that comes being around a lot of genius especially in a lot of academia where there's this pompous notion that you know everything mm-hmm. and what else is there and you combine that with just the fatalism of youth and you're just kind of like I've done this I've seen the I love my brother. He is possibly gone. So this also happens while Bobby's in the coma from his oh, that makes a lot So of she sense. believes that he's dead. Mm-hmm. She knows that he's not dead as far as flatline. Yeah. But he's been in a coma for a couple of weeks. Probably, you know, if this was Vegas, you're betting he's not walking <laughs> out. So she's just kind of like, I'm done, man. Like, this was it. The one person I'll ever love. The only thing. I've already given up on mathematics because we've already done all this. And there comes that fear of everything expands forever. And there's no way you'll ever really understand and never grasp the freedom of knowing that I'll never understand it all. I'll never fix it all. There's a great relief in that. Oh, dang. She looked into the void, didn't she? Yeah. (laughs) But when you're young... You want to, ha- you need that. You're like, man, I need to know. Like, and now I realize that this was all pointless. So at 20 years old, you're just like, there's nothing left. Mm-hmm. I've reached the end. Ah, the confidence of youth. Yeah. So I'm guessing even people that are casually familiar with Cormac McCarthy know he's not an easy author to just delve into. But I'm guessing you wouldn't recommend this one as a starting place for somebody. Honestly, I would say I would put this one of the easier ones to get into. Really? Okay. It's not that long. It's not just dread from the beginning. So, I mean, you know, it's one thing I found that, you know, Cormac McCarthy does not hold a high opinion of humanity as a whole. And these books very much show that. Mm -hmm. His philosophical view is that by and large, humanity is very flawed. We do a lot of terrible, selfish things. And ultimately, we will end by destroying ourselves you know he uses the father working on the atomic bomb like we spent all this time and the idea that the chase was more important than what the blowback would be like dude we did it all these geniuses got together and they made it and then it got you know dropped in japan and they have to go in after the fact which is true and see and go in and do testing and stuff and saw what was left you know people horribly mangled and things like that but also disconnects like well we were just working out math problems we weren't right we were just doing the theoretical part and trying to distance yourself to where it's like i didn't cause this but at the end of the day that chase for your you know you're you wanting to be able to call yourself this brilliant scientist left all these people destroyed and so it deals with a lot of that and so there's heavy themes but it's still not the I mean, most of the Appalachian novels are very violent and very, I mean, one of the things that made me really get into Cormac McCarthy is book Child of God. Like there's very few authors that can pull off making a backwoods kind of crazy necrophiliac come off as a sympathetic character. (laughs) And he did it where you're kind of like, man, like this poor dude, like, you know, but he did it. And, you know, so it's kind of that he doesn't shy away from the darker sides of humanity. This one actually, especially The Passenger, is a lot lighter and fair. It sounds bad, but a lot of these conversations are really, you walk out of them like, okay, because Bobby's finding his will to live. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the order. If you want the Cormac McCarthy, we're all destroying ourselves, there's nothing we can do about it, then read it in the order they were released. (laughs) If you want to start from the, you know, more nihilistic, more misanthropic, viewpoint you wanted to end you know start there and then go to where you have hope read them Mm -hmm. the other way as you were talking about it 
as someone who is not a big Cormac McCarthy fan, because I have a delicate sensibility and I'm a, <laughs> I'm a little flower and they make me sad, sad. <laughs> this one does seem one that like one that I could actually read. I think if anything, the fact that it, there is so much dialogue, the fact that it has, I don't want to say like a quirk but you know like there's a physical like twist to it not yeah. not just a twist but literally a second book that changes the first book like having that extra layer and not just reading a book that's like i'm gonna hate myself and all of humanity after i finish this would be a little more encouraging and probably to other people too because i don't that's one that's really hard to recommend to people. I think someone may have gotten it for one of our secret readers, got like the road or like something. And I was like, ooh, it's good. But I actually see that that's going to be our one of our, I think our next book club book. It's just the road. Oh, yeah, you're right. Because we ordered. I was I did. Yeah. I just did a weird search when we were redoing this. This probably won't make the podcast. We have 19. When we were doing it, I was like, yeah, we're suddenly have 19 copies on order. And it was like, oh, and you know that's a yeah. horrific book in itself. The relate and what's funny is always tell people this takes it now. Sutri and that this book are kind of different in that they're real life kind of things. Yeah, but out of all of his other books, like that had the happiest ending of any book, and that's the road where like everyone's <laughs> the end of the world. But it's like oh, it had a happy ending. You know, there was no happy ending at the end of No Country for Old Men. You know, mm-hmm. Order Keeper, Outer Dark. Like, it all ends terribly. Even the you know the Border Trilogy ends terribly for our thing. Yeah. I mean, you know, the Blood Meridian ends with, you know, one of the darkest scenes, like your main character raped and murdered in an outhouse. You know, it's like <laughs> Corbett McCarthy does not leave you with joy. No. But this one actually had, either, either way, I think even with the darkness of Stella Maris, you still get a resolution where someone did something that would make them bring them peace in the end. Yeah. And there's a certain joy to it because you don't feel that Alicia's ever going to find peace mm-hmm. in this world. Like some people just aren't made to survive. And I mean, it sounds cold, but I, you may not have to believe this, but I do. Some people just don't have it. Especially like, I feel like this a lot, even scientifically, like humans are not made for the world that we're in. And some people are extra not made for the world that we're in. Yeah. And, and just, you know, it's. It's difficult. And at the end of it, I think in both, the end of both books, the people find their peace. Mm -hmm. It's just in very different ways. Yeah. It feels like less of an indictment of humanity and more just like normal schadenfreude. Like it's sad, but. Indictment of humanity is everything leading up to the end. (laughs) Because it's all there. It reads very much like the 89 year old person writing their, you know, it's the philosopher writing their mm-hmm. magnum opus you know this is it <laughs> this is my view of the world before i go away mm-hmm. and i was fortunate enough to have that road to be able to give you know the avenue to provide the world with my view mm-hmm. there's also some de- self-deprecation there too where he kind of you know i think he realized how pompous it is yeah <laughs> but at the same time it's like if you're given your shot you take it and he did he took it there you go all right i think that is the perfect note to end this on yeah so thank you so much for bringing us something very different from what we featured lately on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And stay tuned next week for more fantastic book recommendations. Bye. Bye.